One, two, three. Welcome to Three Song Stories. This is the podcast that uses the way music binds itself to our memories to get our guests to open up about themselves and their lives. Thanks for listening. I'm Mike Canary. Our guest today is Mike Cannington. Mike's a native Floridian who grew up in Tampa and graduated from the University of South Florida with a degree in mass communication. He spent 14 years as a TV broadcaster, the last 10 as the sports anchor of Channel 7 in Fort Myers. Then he spent 14 years as the marketing director for a little chicken wing joint known as Hooters, a couple of years with the local Harley-Davidson dealership group, before joining Bowling Management Associates, which owns Headpins, Bowland Centers, and Fast Tracks here in southwest Florida. That was in 2009, where he's been ever since. Mike says he's been happily married to Stacy Chen Cannington for 33 years, and they've got two kids, Eric and Sarah, and that his free time pursuits include playing golf, traveling, all things Tampa Bay Bucks and FSU Seminoles, and good wine. I first met Mike back when he was the sports anchor on Channel 7, and we crossed paths quite a bit back then, but that was like a quarter of a century ago, so I'm really looking forward to catching up here with his three song stories. I'm okay. Social Security eligible. Wow. <laughs> Not Medicare eligible, though. AARP? So, I started getting AARP solicitations when I was 47 years old. And I said, man, they're jumping the gun. They're wasting money. But I don't know. I they're guess. just laying the groundwork. So, so my wife, God love her, the three-song story freak that she is, signed us up for AARP as soon as she was eligible. She's three years younger. So I was, I was not an AARP person for three years. I feel like maybe the show's already started. Yeah. What do you think? I mean, we've, we've been rolling now for about three minutes. Uh, we can do whatever you want to talk about. Hey, Mike, how are you? I am fantastic, Mike. It's good to be here. It's really good to see you. Yeah. You know, I I was thinking back, and we didn't really spend a lot of time around each other. Right. But I really do feel like I know you really well. Like oh. When I see you now, I'm like, I know this guy. Like, Old It's times. been a long time, though. It's been yeah. at least 20 years, probably. Yeah, yeah. well, you know, um, I have that face that people can't forget, I guess. They just don't remember my name. So it's, no, it's, you know, I've been around for a long time in this little town, right? I came here in 1983, and so um, a lot, a lot obviously has changed. Things have grown. Friendships are made. Sometimes friendships are made and then they go away and sometimes they go away and then come back. And so that's probably what this is like. It's like, you know, you you meet people for brief moments and then uh, you can catch back up and it's not a big miss. You know what I mean? So, yeah, yeah. 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 No, I feel the same way. It's uh, Those were some crazy times, you know, 20, 25 years ago. You were the first person who I ever really – well, it was you and, and Jay Severson yep. and John Hammes yep. were the first people who I met out in the world who were broadcast people. Right. You know, it was the first person who was like, wow, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm walking down the fairway with Jay, <laughs> Jay Severson. That guy's on TV. Yeah. Uh, and now I, I'm kind of in that world now too, yeah. which is weird. It is an interesting dynamic. I used to always tell people, I go um, – you know, it's just a job. I mean, some some people are meant to be gregarious, outgoing, and in those kind of fields. And Jay happens to be my very best, one of my very best friends in the world. And um, I had already been in the market for five years when Jay and his wife Sarah came to town, and we became fast friends really quick. And um, both of us laugh about you know 
uh, what notoriety is on our little mm-hmm. piece of the world level. And um, it's, it's listen, it's really cool when somebody comes up and goes, hey, I used to watch you on TV, or you were my favorite sportscaster, or whatever the line is. I always try to be very complimentary because I used to always say I was on Channel 7, and and that was back in the days when the TV stations went off at night after the Tonight Show or whatever, and the test patterns would come up for the next five or six hours. And I used to always joke that the test pattern on any of the other two stations got better ratings than we did when we were on the air. We were such a non-factor in the TV market. but So it's nice when people remember those things. But still, and not to dwell too much on this, listeners, don't yeah. worry. We're not going to be in retro land that much, I don't think. Um, well, we probably will. Um, back then, like— you know, channel 30 or, you know, you know, 26, 26 11, and, 7, yep. and 30 was PBS. Yeah. That was like the internet. That was it. <laughs> you know, that was like yeah. everything. So yeah. you guys were, you know, that the town was smaller, the yep. channels were fewer. So you guys were, you know, celebrities. Well, that, that's <laughs> nice. Yeah. I never thought about it that way. I just loved doing what I did. I really did. I mean, I... I had to work twice as hard, maybe three times harder than those guys because we didn't have our own cameramen and we didn't have satellite trucks and we didn't have all those things. But it never deterred me because, you know, I truly loved what I did. And so um, we just joked about it. I remember one time when the the Minnesota Twins had been in town uh, for a year or two and Chuck Knobloch was the second baseman for the Twins. And, you know, he and I sort of struck up a friendship along the way a little bit. And um, I was walking up to practice one time, and I had my camera on my shoulder and my videotape recorder on my other shoulder. And I'm walking up, and Chuck just screams, hey, look, it's low budget. And so <laughs> low budget sort of stuck with me with those guys for a while. And I laughed about it because I didn't, I didn't take it as a derogatory thing. It was just the reality of the world that I lived in. Right on. Yeah. Well, we'll circle back to some of that in a little bit. So you grew up in Tampa or in the I did. The, the Born and raised in Tampa. Yep. Okay. Uh, so how would you characterize music in your life when you were a kid? Like, where did it fit into your world, your parents' world, that yeah. sort of thing? It was interesting. Um, I don't ever recall the radio being on in my mother's car. My mother was a vociferous reader, read all the time. When when she had any free moment, my mother was a reader. My father, on the other hand, was a music man. And um, he introduced me to music, took me to my first concert. Which was what? So my very first concert ever was a Johnny Cash concert. Okay. Yeah, and I was 12, 13 years old at Curtis Hickson Hall, which no longer exists in Tampa. But, um, yeah, so my dad was the music man. Uh, Before I was born, my dad played in a couple of local little bands and played steel guitar and stuff like that. So my dad was absolutely – I remember the day he died going into his – one of his secondary rooms, and it was just – he had built all these shelves, and they were lined – if I tell you there were 2,000 albums in there, I, I'm, that might be shortchanging it. There were so many albums. Hmm. Yeah, so it was crazy. Did you play instruments? Yeah, yeah. I tried to play guitar for about um, a year and a half. And my fondest memory of that was I was lazy. I didn't like to practice. And my mother chased me down the hallway one night with my guitar saying if I wasn't going to practice, she would just, you know, she was going to break the guitar. I don't know if it was over my head or into a wall, but so that ended my uh, musical career pretty quickly. Because she broke the guitar, or because she you was said, ready oh, to don't break the guitar. Yeah, no, no, she was ready to. She, uh, I'm sure she probably gave it away to someone. But yeah, there was there was no guitar in my future. What was the first band that you identified with? So that's interesting. You know, I, I remember vividly because my dad was a huge country. I always say country and western. It wasn't. 
the music my father listened to um, was in no way, shape, or form like the music of today that's called country music. And so, you know, my early indoctrination into music was all country music. It was all, you know, Conway Twitty and Porter Wagner and all these old guys um, who probably weren't old at the time. But my first, my first love, the very first album I ever bought was a Led Zeppelin album when I was 13 or 14. I had, my parents had given me for Christmas, um, you know, this is we're talking about the early '70s. One of these all-in-one units that was the AM/FM receiver, the turntable on top, the built-in speakers, and probably had an eight-track player. Mm-hmm. And so, my first love was uh, was by far and away Led Zeppelin. And did you know that today? Is Robert Plant's birthday? That is an amazing stat. That is so crazy. <laughs> Robert Plant, 73 years old today. If I thought he was listening, we would sing happy birthday, but I know he's not. We could try to get it out there. <laughs> Tag him on Instagram, yeah, Tara. The original honey dripper. Get it on. Do you follow his He just put out another thing with uh, Allison Krauss, yes. right? Do you follow that? A little bit. I mean, I don't, I don't listen to local radio a whole lot because it... it it's hard to find music. It's more about commercials anymore. And, um, and so, you know, you have to, I use the internet for a lot of things, YouTube and things like that. So usually if I know about something like that, then I'll try to search it out there. But yeah, I, you know, I'm just amazed that a gentleman who truly is today is his 73rd birthday can still carry the, the notes and the tunes that he does. It's just, I've always been attracted uh, in a musical sense to, great voices, you know, and whether they're um, singing opera, singing Broadway stage, you know, or rock music, whatever. I love the bands that have really dynamic, great voices, you know, and so I grew up in the 70s. And so, you know, I think of bands like Styx and like Journey and the Led Zeppelins of the world that had these dynamic voices that fronted them and were just amazing. Uh, Do you live close enough to downtown Fort Myers that you can pick up 93.3 The Tiger? I don't know if I do. 93.3. It's a low-power station out of Dunbar High School, and I swear it's just a guy with, like, an MP3 list that plays on random, Uh and it is everything. Yeah, good. It is. I I can't listen to it for an hour without having to have my phone go, who is this? What song is that? Because it's a song that, like, I can tell what era it's from, and it sounds kind of familiar, but it's a song you've just never heard of before. Right. So, anyway. Yeah, I, when when the original Bob format came to yeah. town, I loved the Bob format, especially when radio stations are new. They don't have a lot of commercials, right? They're, they're, they're reaching for their market, and they're trying to build it. So, uh, when the original Bob format came to town, I was like, man, that's it, because— if you saw my iTunes playlist, you would be you would be going, wow, it's all over the board. And so when I put it on shuffle, it's awesome because not every song is a Motown song. You know, not every song is a Broadway play song and not every song is a Led Zeppelin or a Green Day or a whatever song. So it's this wide variety. And I just I like being I like being immersed into totally different kinds of sounds and feels. So Led Zeppelin was your first band. Uh, do you remember the first music that you owned? Well, that was it. I was bought it the, the very first album was Houses of the Holy. I believe it was their fifth album. It came right after Led Zeppelin Four, which is their preeminent album that everybody always discusses. But Houses of the Holy was my first album, um, and uh, I remember because there was a there was a record store around the corner from where I grew up. I would literally walk to it, 
And back in those days, albums were like two ninety nine, three ninety nine, and like they are at the Goodwill these days. Yeah, well, <laughs> you know, some of the record trader places in town, you can sometimes, you can sometimes find a deal, but the big named albums that it, they know everybody wants, they still carry a pretty penny. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And the new re releases that are coming out, the hundred eighty gram records and things like that, yeah, some of those can be obscenely priced. Do you have vinyl at home? Do you play? I do. Yeah, I have a, but I have a little, I have a little turntable. I mean, it's I have this. The token turntable. It is one of those Kmart <laughs> specials, you know. It's like it's this red thing that looks like a suitcase. You clamp the lid down, and you can carry it away with you. It's it, there is absolutely nothing fancy about it. So you just said what eight hundred eighty gram records or something? Yeah. Is, is that a thing? Like some records like are yeah. heavier because yeah. I've only just started getting some vinyl, yeah. and I ordered this special edition tenth anniversary thing from a lesser known band that I like. Right, and they came in and the the records are like so heavy. They are, and I, yeah. I guess that's what it is. I, I believe it is. I should have googled uh, why are my yeah. albums so heavy. I'm not that big of an audiophile, but I do believe that that's what it is, and, uh, and I'm sure the processes for pressing albums have has greatly improved them for what we had back in those days. Um, but yeah, yeah, bigger albums, more colorful albums, anything they can do to, you know, market them because everything else is digital. So Tara's going to talk. Uh, so I, I do know this. I'm quite a record um, per aficionado, I suppose. But uh, the reason that they are is for durability. That's yeah. why they're heavier. There isn't really any much difference beyond that. But if you think I'm wrong or if there's something else you'd like to add, Shout out to us on social media. Talk yeah. to us about records and record weights. Uh, you can find us on Facebook at Three Song Stories and Instagram at Three Song Stories and wherever you get your podcasts because that helps us make this show. Yeah, and we, we work here at WGCU Public Radio, which is the local NPR station. And recently on NPR, I heard a story about a Sarasota-based company that is using recycled plastic from the oceans to make records. Nice. There we go. That's full awesome. Circle. <laughs> right, let's get a big hug for that. <laughs> big let's hug go. for that. Let's go to Sarasota. Okay, let's get to your first song. Sure. So my first song, I mentioned the, the, the first music my father introduced me to was country and western. And the first um, concert that I went to in 1971 was a Johnny Cash um concert at Curtis Hickson Hall. And so it, I would be totally remiss if if my first song wasn't um, a Johnny Cash song. And so without further ado. Sure. So you'd yeah. have been 13 years old. I would have been 13 years old, sleeping in my chair for the most part of the concert. Oh, see, now you're claiming cool. Yeah. So no, I was, claiming I was, yeah, lame. I was, um, yeah, well, you know, it, it was interesting. My father was, I remember my dad, God love him. My dad was the nicest, sweetest, gentlest, never raised his voice, never cursed. And he was just this great guy. And he looked back and saw me sleeping in my chair and he sort of nudged me and yanked me up a little bit. But but I got into it, you know. And so, yeah, you know, um, the man in black, I mean, even to this day, I can still listen to Johnny Cash music. You know, I don't listen to a lot of the old country stuff. I, I do like some of the new stuff. Um, but yeah, Johnny Cash, Ring of Fire. Why this song? song? Because it's the song, it's the Johnny, when I think of the man in black, Johnny Cash, this is the song I think of all the time. All right, this is Ring of Fire by Johnny Cash from his 1963 album, Ring of Fire, the best of Johnny Cash. The Ring of Fire. Do you remember if he played that yes. at that concert yes. or did you sleep through that yeah, part? Yeah, no, I wouldn't sleep through that part. <laughs> um, yeah, no, yeah, absolutely. And um you know, and so I really, um, I thought Cash was really a pretty cool guy for a 13-year-old to look at on stage because he wasn't, 
I remember some of the other country concerts that my dad took me to later on, and these guys wore sequins and all this stuff. They look like Vegas showgirls. And I thought, man, this dude is badass. I just thought he was. And, and so it was easy for me to attach a little bit to that, you know. Um, my friends today and the people who know what kind of music I listen to would probably be shocked to know that that would be a song that I would identify with. But but absolutely, in my formative, young, early learning music days, I mean, that guy was the king. Do you ever see him again in your life? Not not in person. No, not in person. Because honestly, once you know the rebellious sun sets in when you become a teenager and you you do everything you can to veer away from what you're. Well, I certainly did. What my parents tried to, you know, I would I would never say force because my parents never forced me into anything. Uh, ju- just how they tried to influence me, you know. But but my parents were really pretty cool because again, you know, here's here's my dad, this country and western music lover. My mom who doesn't hardly listen to music, and I, you know, I'm growing up, my room was right across the hallway from theirs, and they bought me this really cool sound system, and I had my big old headphones, and you know, played music sometimes through the headphones, sometimes through the speakers, and never was there ever any chastising for what I was listening to. So they were, your dad was down with Led Zeppelin? Yeah, yeah, you know, I'm sure it wouldn't have been playing in his car, but yeah, but he was cool with me, you know, sort of feeling my own notes and liking that music. You've got two kids? So I have a, yeah, I have a 35-year-old son, Eric, who lives um, in Alabama, and a 30-year-old daughter who lives in D.C., but getting ready to move to Chicago. Did they ever have music that you were like, huh, Uh uh-uh? So my son, obviously, um, it's interesting. Um, he likes a lot of the same music that I do. My daughter is, um, she really took on the music bug like I do. I love music. I listen to music everywhere. I listen to it in the shower. I listen to it when I play golf. If I could listen to it when I bowl, I would listen to it there. My daughter's that way. I mean, when my daughter, um, you know, one of the first concerts I ever took her to, we went to see the Backstreet Boys. And we have this picture that we share with each other where we're, we're sitting there holding our tickets. You know, we're just so excited. My daughter's nine years old, you know, and so I, I took her to a Backstreet Boys concert. The love of a daughter is strong enough to make you go to a Backstreet Boys. It was. <laughs> listen, you know, I, I said it earlier, right? I love good voices. And when those five guys would harmonize. Oh, wow. You're you know, unabashedly. Oh, yeah. I'm yeah, a, yeah I, love you it. Know, I, I was not a boy band boy, but I, I just love when voices work. I just think whether it's one or five or a church choir, I get goosebumps sometimes when I hear. Um, I'm thinking of when Led Zeppelin was inducted at the Kennedy Centers and Hart sang Stairway to Heaven, and they had this black choir off to the side that comes in. And re- and it just, man, it gives me goosebumps to think about when all those voices come together as one. It's just magical. It's magical. Do you sing? Uh No. No. I mean, you know, to, yeah, like everybody else in the car and in the shower, but no. No? You've no. never been? You can, so it's I had not to, so too late. You can do a little barbershop. A, I'm sure there's a, like an online series you can take. The true something. story of Mike Cannington's life. In my senior year in high school, I was in the play Annie Get Your Gun, cast in the exciting role of Buffalo Bill. And I did have to sing in that show. And I never recorded myself. Nobody ever threw anything at me. So I must have pulled it off semi-okay. Um but yeah, no, I no. 
It'd be cool to sing, but maybe I'll learn how to sing when I'm in when I'm retired. So if I'm doing the math right, you would have been a, like a senior in high school in what, like 75, 76? Yeah, 76. Something like that? Yep, 1976. So what was it like being in high school in the 70s, man? Yeah, so it was really, <laughs> so it was really interesting, right? We were um, probably the second, I, I don't know, you know, integration was a big deal, right? And so I... Played basketball all my years in high school, and um, you know I was I was one of the only guys that had a car, and so you know I I became immersed in the whole black culture of music in the seventies, which was you know sort of the second wave of Motown when you know you started to get some really cool singular artists because I would take a lot of the black guys home after practice, and so we would listen to music and when we rode the bus to games and stuff so you know i, I really I really developed a great affinity there uh, but again going back into the seventies it was it was awesome. I don't know that we knew it at the time, but 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 the seventies were very tumultuous. Vietnam was you know early in the decade integration again, school busing was a big deal, you know um I mean you know just it was everything, but you know the kids today probably will say the same thing when they're fifty years out of high school. We'll see. Yeah, yeah. I don't uh, know. But yeah, their, their uh, album yeah. covers aren't cool like ours. That's that's right? very much. We the have case. the best album artwork. I don't know that anybody else, because before us, it was all usually just pictures of the band and stuff. Yeah. But our artwork in the 70s, if I did nothing with my albums other than frame the album covers, would be beautiful. Just amazing stuff. What were the other bands you were listening to around Led Zeppelin? So Hendrix was a part of it. Um, You know, anything that was really, you know... Metal wasn't really the term for it back in those days, but, you know, something that was on the heavier side, I would listen to most any of that stuff. FM radio was, you know, sort of just really coming of its own. And so album-oriented rock was big. You know, um, I went to the University of South Florida, so WUSF, the NPR station there, you know, they would just play the whole album, you know. And so you could listen to anything from Cream to, I mean, I could go on. There's just a million groups in those eras that were just, mind-boggling, you know, and uh, different sounds in them. I used to always wonder how they make that sound. Well, nowadays you can watch a video and they'll show you, but in right. those days it was all to your yeah, imagination. Yeah, yeah. It truly was. Um, so you played basketball? I did. Did you play other sports? Play baseball. And then, of course, I bowled, which is what I still do today. Um, broadcasting, was that just an attempt to do, be able to do sports stuff for a living? It was. Because you weren't good enough to be like yeah, a pro basketball yeah, yeah. player or whatever? So it was funny because I was, when I was in probably ninth grade, so we're talking the very early 70s, um, I just sort of, I, I just remember talking to my parents, I go, I, I think I want to be a sportscaster. I want to be a sportscaster. I want to be a sports journalist of some kind. And um, so when I was old enough to intern, I interned at the NBC affiliate in Tampa and, um, you know, did some things there for an extended period of time. When I got to USF, you know, there was no wishy-washiness. I was straightforward and I knew what I wanted to do. I wanted to be in the journalism school. And it was funny because I knew that I truly wanted to be a broadcast, a TV sportscaster. And, And one of my higher level journalism writing courses was taught by the investigative reporter for the Tampa Tribune. And I was the only broadcast journalist in the class. And he used to like to make fun of me, right? Like that we were the black sheep of the journalism world. But my shining moment was I was the only person to get an A in this class. And it was like, it was so tough for him. 
Charles Reed was his name. I'll never forget. He, he was so tough for him to admit that I was the guy that was the better writer than even his print students were. So, so yeah, I, I knew from a very young age that that's what I wanted to do. I was I worked hard to get to do what I did because it wasn't easy. Um, but, yeah, it was it was just a gas. I, I thoroughly enjoyed those years. It's so, it's so crazy to think back on, you know, those times when, you know, how big, like, the newspapers had so many reporters. They right. had, like, a reporter at every high school football game yep. and things like that. Um, and then it was just you with your own little camera, camera. doing yeah. your thing. But you, you were – you covered I, – see, I um, I can see, I guess, now that in retrospect. Right. But I was not aware of that at the time. Yeah, you know, yeah, I didn't yeah. know the difference between them. Yeah. But now that I'm yeah. sort of in this world, I'm like, yeah, you're you like appreciate we are now. Yeah, you can appreciate it because <laughs> – it is um, – it, it was the reality of the world. And look, if you like what you do, you don't mind putting up with the BS that you have to put up with. I, I firmly believe that, right? And so I'm trying to find you this picture of a newspaper article that shows me working all by myself. I tried to look yeah. on YouTube yeah. to try to find oh, – yeah, I'm God. like, but it does, was, you're not no, even on YouTube. Yeah, it's no, too old for no, that. No, it's too old for that. Yeah. There, nobody – I don't know that anybody yeah. would have – I don't know that anybody would have saved those tapes. There might be one or two people. But. Yeah, Weave You. Yeah, Weave You. Weave. It's now WZVN. Yeah. Oh. So yeah. you did that until when? Uh, so I was there from 83 to 92. I left in uh, November of 92. After the Fort Myers High School class of 90 left, yeah. you had to get out of there. Well, listen. Um, you remember the, like Nate Orzak oh, and uh, Otis Griffin? Otis Griffin, and, Jeff oh, Magoon, yeah. all those guys. <laughs> totally remember those guys. M- maybe one of the closest times I've ever come to getting arrested as an adult was at a game between St. Pete Gibbs and um, and uh, Fort Myers High. And uh, I was so enraged because the, uh, the officiating was so bad. It was so terrible. And I'm screaming at the officials. I'm supposed to be nonpartisan, right? I'm supposed to stand there. And I was just screaming. And this official finally, during one of the timeouts, went over to one of the Fort Myers Police Department officers and said, hey, you need to get this guy out of here. Because I was, I was just berating them for how bad they were. So, But, yeah, those were great days. Fort Myers had a great football team. When I first got here, North Fort Myers had a good football team. It was, it was a great time. It was, it was truly a great time. Those those mid to late 80s in Fort Myers were great. That was the end of a, like, that was like right at the, you know, the, we didn't have the internet quite yet. Right, we didn't have right. CDs quite yet. Right. You know, it was just the end of that, whatever. Cable that was sort of coming into yeah. its own. So there was ESPN, but there weren't a million ESPNs. Yeah. And so, yeah, it was great. It was awesome. So Hooters. Yep. That's what I left TV for. How big was Hooters, like their operation when you came on board? Because they're obviously now worldwide. Worldwide. Yeah. So I worked for the South Florida group, but but in doing that, we were the biggest group in the Hooters realm in the early 90s. And so I helped with a lot of the national stuff as well. But, you know, we were, when I signed on with them in 92, we had, we, they had just opened their sixth unit in South Florida. So around the country, they were probably in the 20s or 30 units. Um, the last I knew, there were 400-plus units around the world. I mean, and that started huge. in Clearwater. Tampa, Clearwater. Yep, in Clearwater, yep. Mm. Great guys. The originators of the concept, are, uh, some of them aren't with us anymore, but they were just Fun-loving, great guys. They truly were. And in the 80s, when they started in 83 in Clearwater, the local group started in 86. You know, I mean, times were different. Things could be said. Things could be posted. And, you know, there wasn't the internet. And there weren't social media cam- cameras and every phone and stuff. And so they they just, they were, they took a very lighthearted look at life, but but did a did a great thing while they were doing it, too. 
Any musical memory stemming from those times? So we every Hooters always had a big old jukebox, a big, what you would think from happy days. And so we would play music from those in, in Hooters in the original days was a 50s-themed concept. And so the girls hated it, but the music was all mostly from the 50s and early 60s. It truly like was. Yakety yak, don't yeah, talk so back. Frankie Valley and all those kind of acts, that's what would have been playing on those jukebox or through the jukebox into the sound system. That's hilarious. Oh, yeah. Um, so you mentioned you have a um, – a, a token turntable. I do. Uh, but how do you listen to music mostly? Mostly digitally. I mean, my phone goes with me everywhere. Um, a couple thousand songs on that. Um, I said I, I listen to music everywhere. Um, the, the advent of the Bluetooth speaker for me and my golf game is just phenomenal. I've got this brick of a of a is it the Bose? Speaker. Is it the Bose? I mean, so it looks like a Bose. It's from a company called Rockform, uh-huh. and the backside is just this giant magnet, uh-huh. and so it will stick to anything. So yeah, the brace yeah. that comes down off the roof of a golf cart sits right on it. Oh wow! And this thing will play for ten or twelve hours on a charge. I found one of the original Bose Bluetooth, the right. real heavy, bricky right. ones, at uh, at the Goodwill down on Fort Myer, on South Fort Myers, and it didn't have a power cord. And I bought it for $10, right. and I got a power cord for $10, and it works perfectly. Yeah. And it's worth yeah. hundreds of dollars. Sure, It's sure. awesome. I think it's just amazing. I'm sure the quality isn't what an audiophile would like, you know, the, yeah, the true you album lovers. The golf course or but if I'm driving and, and I can turn my music on, it's awesome. Um, so the last time I play golf about once a year these days, and the last time I played with my buddies, I had queued up. The scene, the the part in the Journey song in Caddyshack, right? When when they're waiting and, and the Ronnie, he goes, bag. "Let's dance yeah. in this anyway." Yeah. And I had queued that up, and we were waiting, and because it's Bluetooth, yeah. I was able to recreate that moment yeah. on the it's golf beautiful. course. <laughs> One of my favorite movies of all time. And yeah, when that he shoots the the club out of the bag, let's dance, and you know Nunzio dances, and they're all dancing in the fairway. It's brilliant. What's your handicap these days? No, it just gets worse as I get older because <laughs> I don't practice and I don't play much. I, I think it's right around a 14 right now, somewhere in that That's area. That's not bad. Better yeah. than I can do. I mean, I, yeah. I, I'm, I can scrape by bogey golf these yeah. days if yeah. I'm lucky. It's, it's not easy. Um, how good a bowler are you? A better bowler than a better than a golfer. <laughs> I used to be really good. Uh, again, time changes. Uh, you don't practice as much and do the things. There are a lot of guys in this town and a few ladies that are light years better than me. But I still enjoy it. Still like to compete. You know, I carry about a two fifteen, two seventeen average, which is okay. There are two guys on my bowling team on Monday night that averaged two thirty or more. So, what's your bowling team's name? Uh, we're actually sponsored by a barbecue place. It's just the Atomic Barbecue Team. I think that's it. Yeah, Atomic. It's nothing fancy. When nothing I was, scandalous. When I was googling around to try to find you on YouTube, yeah. Um, what popped up though was, uh, I guess last year or earlier this year, you played in a four-man scramble with uh, George McNeil, my um, Jay Severson, right. and Don Hissom. Right. That's so funny to me. We've played together. <laughs> actually, we have played together since 1999. Which when, tournament is that? So it's it's been a million different things. It's the Yingling, the Coors Light, the oh, Pabst. Yeah, 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 yeah. So it always happens in the spring at Fort Myers Country Club. There's a caddy in that. Yeah, and so George, when he came out of Florida State, Jay and I, Jay and I have played in this event since uh, Jay came to town in '88. We probably started playing this event in '89 <laughs> or '90, and we hooked up with George in '99. And we used to always tell Rich Lamb, the head pro director of golf in Fort Myers, we just want to play with somebody fun. 
We don't care if they are a named golfer or not. We'll play with anybody fun. So he comes to us this 1990. He goes, I got this young guy from Florida State, and he's from North Fort Myers. And said, yeah, sure, we'll play with him. And for the first two or three years when George was trying to make his name in golf, we we affectionately call ourselves the Dew Sweepers because we were the first group off. When right. the light of day came and there was dew on the ground, yeah. we were out there dragging through it. So, um yeah, those were great days. I mean, we still play with Georgie. Um, you know, um, he hasn't kicked us out yet, so I don't know why. Twenty something years later, we're still all together. I caddied for Jim Dent. Yeah, two years in a row. Yeah, big back Jim. Then back when it was the Pabst, I yeah. think it was. And one of my favorite four man scramble memories has to do with Don Hissom. Yeah, he was in the group behind us. Everything had backed up. They came and they were like right next to the green as we were still waiting. To, we were just starting to putt. Right. And I had, or we had, our team had, it was a hundred foot putt. Right. You know, it was a putt from, it was a putt from forever. Right. And he came up and he said something like 20, I forget what it was, but it was like, I'll give you 20 to one odds on that. And I threw like a $5 bill at him or a right. $10 bill at him and stood up there and hit it. And it just rolled and rolled and rolled and rolled and rolled and rolled. And rolled. Went right in, and yeah, everybody perfect. was freaking out. Remember Todd at, yeah. uh, at that Niblick? Yeah. Todd was standing right Came next to the hole. Remember? Todd, Todd was like, yeah, go, yeah. go, and it rolled right in, and Don walked up and handed me like $200 yeah. or whatever it yeah. was. It great was guy. great. Uh, Gonzo, <laughs> we call him Gonzo. I mean, Gonzo is just a uh, man, I tell you. Think you think he'd do this? They, I don't. He lives in West Virginia most of the <laughs> oh, year. Okay. Yeah, and it would be interesting to hear because he's Gonzo's fourteen years older than me, so he's seventy-seven. But yeah, he's just a man. God cut the mold when he made him because he is as unique as unique gets. Yes, yeah, yes, just an yes. all-world guy. Uh, we could go on all day. Yeah, you know. Hey, listen, some of your <laughs> listeners will love this. Some of them will be bored to tears, but we'll get to the music. I yeah, love music. Yeah, yeah, Okay, well, let's get back to the music a little bit. Sure. Um, best concert ever? Um, boy, that's that's tough because I've been to so many of them. Um, I love U2, and so I've been to a couple of U2 concerts that were – Quite amazing. Uh, uh, when Billy Joel and Elton John went out the first time with the dueling pianos, my wife and I just on a lark drove up to Tampa and went to the Sun Dome without tickets and scalp tickets. And that was pretty phenomenal. I always tell people, I go, the, the hard part when you scalp them is you never know where your seats are. I said there was only one person further away from the stage than us that night. And it was the guy with the main light for the stage that shined <laughs> it on. But, but I've been fortunate. I've gone to some really great. And when I grew up in the 70s, there were all these, they called them rock Super Bowls. And so they happened either at Tampa Stadium or at the Citrus Bowl in Orlando, where they would bring in, I remember July 4th, 1976, the bicentennial year, you know, the Eagles and um, Fleetwood Mac and all these big groups were there together on that one stage. And it was just phenomenal. And, you know, in those days, tickets were 10 to $25. And so I, I got to see some unbelievable some unbelievable acts over the years. Give us a few more years with like virtual reality or projecting holograms or something. Yeah. And we'll probably be able to like go to those again. Well, it's amazing. <laughs> again, with YouTube, I mean, for those for those bands that were had the foresight to think of some of these things, you know, there, you can see some things that you just never thought you would ever see again. And um, and I think it's just phenomenal. I mean, I've got a big smart TV now, and so I can just go to YouTube and type in, you know. Um, Kiss concert, Detroit, nineteen eighty nine, or whatever, and 
Bam. You can, yeah, and find concerts you were even, you yeah. even went to sometimes. Yeah, that you didn't even go yeah. to, yeah. Hmm. Uh-huh. Um, uh, before we get to your second song, uh, do you and your wife's musical tastes diverge anywhere? A lot. Yeah, uh-huh. a lot. Yeah. <laughs> okay, but, yeah, I, I yeah. was trying to decide which way to phrase that. <laughs> my, my wife would have been my dad's favorite human being of all time because my wife— First generation Chinese born in America. Her mother and father are both from China. And um, my wife grew up in Kissimmee, Florida. And so my my wife, when we first met, she worked at the TV station with me. And um, I didn't realize at the time, she loves all kind of music. My wife loves. She has a, a wide swath as well. But but she really likes country music. And so I had never heard of Kenny Chesney until my wife introduced me to Kenny Chesney, Zach Brown. You know, you go on. So my wife's taste, we, we, we intersect, but we don't parallel much. And so we'll have a few bands that we might like, but then her playlist and my playlist would be totally so. Different. But she pretty much listens to just NPR, though, right? She is a huge <laughs> – my wife – I, I don't laugh. I, I'm here to tell you. My wife is a huge NPR fan, huge. And I think pretty much every time I get in her car, it's on NPR. It's on NPR. I said she just got a new car. She made sure that they took the NPR bumper sticker or window sticker out of her old car and saved it in such a way so that she could reattach it to her new car. So my wife's a huge NPR fan. We have uh, WGCU NPR PBS window clings there you for go. cars and things. We'll have maybe, to buy one you know, for her. We can hook you up. Window yeah. clings for yeah. cars and things. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. We were at the, we, we were um, we were at the Minnesota State Fair. Three years ago, four years ago, for a uh, very good friend's daughter's wedding, and um, and by God, the local NPR station had a booth. And the Minnesota State Fair is famous for its food. I mean, it's just a foodies freak show, right? And so we're walking around. I'm, I'm getting beers and I'm getting cheese curds and I'm doing all this stuff. And I, I lose my wife for a few minutes. I'm like, where in the world is she? Oh. There she is. She's at the NPR booth, <laughs> buying shirts, buying mugs, doing all this stuff. So I listen. I love my wife for the differences that we have because man, it makes it makes discussions and it makes traveling fun. It, you know, if we were the exact same, man, it, I just I think I'd be bored to tears. Right on. But I do. I, I I love the diversity that she brings to the table. All right, it's time for your second song. Yeah. So. Um, Let's do the story first because the story really is is what to me is the amazing part. So I I was done with college in 1979. December 1979 I was done, but I stuck around um, for another whatever we were back in those days, semesters or quarters. I don't remember what we were. And so uh, f- spring of 1980, a uh, girl I was dating says, hey, uh, I'm graduating and I'm moving back to California and I don't have a way to get my car back to California. I said, wow. I said, man, I'd love to drive your car to California. She goes, my dad will pay you. You do whatever you want to do. Yeah, great. Grab a buddy of mine who became fast friends in college. And we took out on this trek across America. And it took us three weeks to get to this California. This was 79? This would have been the spring of 1980. 80, spring okay. of 1980. We take off on this three-week three, three week trek across America. We go to New Orleans. We're in Houston. We're camping out some nights, staying in hotels other nights. We, we happen to be in Houston for opening day of baseball season, and 
we had no schedule, and we got to see Nolan Ryan pitch opening night, and the next night, J.R. Richards was scheduled to pitch, so we stayed in another night, and we watched J.R. Richards pitch, and so we just had this fantastical journey across the country. Car breaks down, get it fixed, we get to the Grand Canyon, it doesn't want to work, and I'm thinking, oh my God, I'm going to be stuck in the Grand Canyon, and... Um, and we did, and we got it fixed. And every time we needed something, you know, this is before Venmo, you know, her dad would Western Union us money yeah. to whatever city yeah, we were yeah, in, yeah. right? I remember we were in Tucson, Arizona. And, um, yeah, it's the 1980s. We're college guys, and, you know, we probably had some things that would alter our frame of reference. And we were – I remember laying down on the ground because the, the grass out there is totally different than Florida grass. It's this thin, long, wispy, soft grass. And I fell asleep in the middle of the student area at University of Arizona. And I woke up only because there was um, a Hari Krishna guy above me. And you mentioned Caddyshack, right? The flowing <laughs> robes, the full grace. I mean, this dude is over me, and I'm like— Striking. I'm stoned, and he is striking. And I'm like, oh, my God. I go, oh, my God, what am I doing? And, uh, and so it was just— it, it was one of those journeys. And so to get to the point of the story, when we finally got to California, Los Angeles, she, her parents lived in Huntington Beach. Uh, we stayed with her parents for – we were there three or four days, and I was bored out of my mind, just bored. And so I looked at her and I said, hey, Carrie, can I um, – can Joe and I grab the car and take off for a while? Oh, yeah, sure, no problem. So like a couple of knuckleheads, we thought, oh, let's go to Baja, Mexico. We've never been there. Let's go there. And so we head down the five, and we go through San Diego. We spend a day there, and then we get to Tijuana, and we just keep driving, and we drive, and we drive, and we pull up, and we sleep on the beach for a couple of nights, and then we end up in this, I don't even know the name of the town we were in, but nobody spoke English, and we didn't speak Spanish. And, you know, my hair back in those days was probably, it was definitely past my shoulders and much fuller. <laughs> and my buddy Joe looked like a drug lord. I mean, he had the curly fro and real dark skin and all this stuff. So finally, after a couple of days, we said, man, I just can't, I can't stay here. I, I don't know what I'm eating. They don't know what they're, <laughs> I, 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 so in the middle of the, it was getting late. I said, look, Joe, man, we got to go back. Let's just go back. We drive back, and we get to Customs in San Diego, and everybody else is just zipping through Customs. Man, they they look in the car. How you doing? Boom, gone. I mean, we pull up, and um, and the custom guy looks at us. And he goes, "You boys got to go over there," and he points us to this secondary place. And we get over there, and you know, three guys with guns and big vests, and they come up, and they're like, "Man." You guys are in some deep water. I'm like, we haven't done anything. They put this orange cone like you find on the road, put this orange cone on our car and make us drive over to a third checkpoint of, you know, border. Ch- and this is long before 9-11. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And so, we, so, so when we finally get to the third one, they make us get out. Jimi Hendrix all along the watchtowers playing. And so every time I hear that song, I'm immediately taken back to – Border Patrol, San Diego, California, April 1980, and that's it was it was a crazy night. Ooh, what happened? Or should we wait? No, till no, no, yeah, yeah. Let's listen to the song, and then let me, I'll finish it up with afterwards what happened. Because right, you know, Dylan did the original version, yeah, but the Hendrix version is what I heard that night, and it was playing on your car's radio on this car we were driving. This 
souped-up Mustang G-something. It was crazy. It thing got six miles to the gallon, folks. Let me tell you. You go across this country, you, you eat up a lot of gas. Gas was 48 cents a gallon, though. Yeah, but I didn't have a lot of money. Um, so this is all along the Watchtower. You said it's right, the Jimi Hendrix Jimi version. Jimi Hendrix which version. Be, did you know it was released just six months after Dylan's was? Oh, I did not know that. All right, yeah. Let's listen. I can see the scene in that movie. Yeah, yeah, I can yeah. see that. So, so the end of the the end of the story is <clears throat> third checkpoint. Cops going through. I, I asked the guy. I said, um, "Hey, man, can I take a picture of your drug sniffing dog? Because nobody will believe this." <laughs> oh, absolutely not. Absolutely not. And then he, you know, they. I mean, they've ripped everything out of the car. Seats are up. Everything out of the trunk. And and all he could do at the end was he looked at us and he goes. You boys brought back too much alcohol. And I'm like, really? I, I'm like, how much were we allowed to bring back? And he goes, not this much. And all we had was a case of Dos Equis because in those days, I don't know that you could buy it in the United States. And I think we had a big bottle of Kahlua. He goes, you can either pour it down the drain or you can sit here and drink it. <laughs> I said, well, I'm not pouring it down the drain. I'm a poor college graduate. I got So we literally drank I don't remember. I'd love to be able to brag a case and of say, beer and a bottle of Kahlua. It, yeah, we didn't drink the Kahlua. We left the Kahlua because that was for Carrie, the girl that I was taking the car back to. But I bet we drank a twelve pack. I bet we drank a six pack each. And then they let us just drive on through. And I'm like, oh my god, man, we're hammered, you know. And uh, that's, and, uh, just, that's okay. That's kind of how TSA works now. Yeah, you know. <laughs> I mean, it was just amazing. We sit there and get plowed while this guy runs his dog through the car to make sure we don't have any drugs. And so it was just, it's just one of those life stories that, in my mind, never gets old because it's almost too hard to believe. But it absolutely, truly happened. And it was just the craziest thing. So we get back to L.A., and I, I just can't stand it. I'm, I'm only there for a couple of more days. And, and so I said, yeah, I'm I'm. I'm pretty sure I flew home, and I think my buddy Joe flew back to New York or something like that. So, and never saw the girl again. You know, it's funny because that song is like such a like that. That's the kind of song that could be a, a soundtrack yeah. song. I'm yeah. sure it has been. Yeah, and it makes you wonder, like, if a different song had been playing, if it would have bonded to your memory yeah. of that time in right. the same way. Right. Like, could you have been sitting here saying that you know it was this other this, yeah. this Led Zeppelin song? Yeah. Yeah. Or not? I don't know. Could I have been comfortably numb by Pink Floyd? <laughs> right. Probably. I agree with you. I think I don't think it works because sort of. If you don't take the lyrics literally, you know, all along the watchtower to me is I got all these security guys at the, you know, at the border uh-huh. that are rifling through things. And I'm like, wow, I mean, I had been a straight laced guy. I'd never gotten in trouble with the law or anything like that. And, and on the on one level, it was pretty spooky. It was pretty scary. Like, I'm like, you know, th- they could have thrown something in there and planted it and we could have been who knows where we ended up. But it was just, um, yeah, it was a really, really weird experience for me. But it sort of capped off. Uh, about a month of weirdness, so it was good. How'd you get back to Florida? I flew back. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I um, I pieced together. Flying wasn't really super. It wasn't cheap back then, but it wasn't. It wasn't all that. So I had always planned on coming back by plane. So I just moved my flight up a few days. I drove my sister to L.A. when she moved out there. Yeah. So I did. Then I flew back. So yeah. it was one of those. Yeah. Free road trip cross country on somebody else's dime. Yeah, basically. I would, you know, so now as I approach um, retirement age, you know the the yearn of the road. I love traveling, and uh, to do something like that again would I think would be fascinating. You know, and then to be able to go on and do other parts of the country because I've seen the South a lot. You know, um, but to then do 
you know, the northern parts of the country would be, I think it would be fantastic. Um, have you ever heard the Dave Matthews version of that song? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah I think it, yeah. I think it's pretty good. Yeah, I agree. I agree. You know, that's the beauty of music, right? Everybody can interpret the way they want. And if you're a DMB fan, you're going to love the way he does it, right? And so um, I, I, I think it's awesome when artists share their music and, and are willing to share it with other artists to interpret it their way. Um, so you are with Bowling Management Associates? Yes, we were just talking about that before. Yeah, BMA explain is all the, that. Yeah, so BMA is the company name. I work for a husband and wife team, Pat and Lisa Sinello. Um This sort of jumps ahead a little bit. They rescued me in 2009 when I was having some really bad times. Um, so I've worked for them since 2009. They own um, Boland Bowling Centers. There's uh, one in Naples called Beacon Bowl, one in Cape Coral called Coral Lanes. Uh, also own the Headpins Models, Naples, Fort Myers, and Cape Coral. And then just a month ago, we opened Fast Tracks, which is the old Zoomers on the way to Fort Myers Beach. So put a bunch of millions of dollars into that, renovated it, brought in some new stuff, and we're really excited about that property. Do you ever have live music during normal times yeah, in it, any of those venues? We At Headpins Fort Myers, we've we've done it a lot. Um Never anything big. I think we had Mike Ambassiani. He's a local blues guitar player. He um, he had a little three-piece band. We would have them there sometimes. Uh, it's tough. There's a lot of places you'd rather go to listen to music than at a bowling center. So how is does music work? Because I know like back in the old Gator Lanes days, it was yeah. like there was a jukebox, I think. Yeah. But, yeah. you know, is there mu- music being piped oh. in that everybody has to listen to? Is it like can you listen just in your lane these days because yeah. that's how fancy things are? Right. So I will tell you, I was thinking about today as I was walking through there in preparation for this. Um, it is a totally immersive Musically led, video enhanced environment. Our, I've never even been in. Yeah, you I should. should wa- you, I drive by it you twice guys, a day. You guys should. <laughs> you should let me. You should let me take care of you and see the place and experience it because we um, we have these giant video projection screens above the lanes. Um, we we put on what we think is right for the day and the time. What you hear on Friday night is not what you're going to hear on Wednesday afternoon. The seniors hear something different. We don't have it down to the lane capability where you can watch yours and they can watch theirs. Um, but it is amazing. It's it, the, the lighting systems, the projection systems, all of that is millions of dollars. Hmm. And we subscribe to a service called Bowling Music Network, and they provide us with 70 or 80 channels of music. So if you if we had a church that came in and wanted to do a church event one night, we could have a Christian channel on. You know, we could have, um, you know, we have adult contemporary. We have mom approved. You name it, we can pretty much put videos and music up to suit somebody's taste. So when you think of the word bowling, yes, what song, what bowling alley song comes to mind for you? Wow, that's a good one. I, I, I've got one. Yeah, do you go ahead? Give me yours, and then let me see if it spurs. <laughs> oh me no, on. it's it, mine's totally just this wackadoo yeah. band I came across called Those Darn Accordions. Yeah, it's a twelve-person accordion band. Right. They had this great song called Lawrence ah. about Lawrence Welk. There you go. And then the, on the album was the Bowling King song. Yeah, I, yeah, I, you know it's amazing because my span in bowling started. My father was a great bowler, and so in 1963 I started bowling. So now here we are. 60 years later almost and i've seen i've seen bowling make this unbelievable metamorphosis right so it's gone from 
old bowling lanes with ashtrays and the paper scoring sheets that you wrote on or for league they had the lighted with the plastic wax thing that would burn your hand yeah you know the yellow pencil that you would write on to now i mean these scoring units that we have today have so many games built into them that it's hard to even recognize it as bowling the way it scores things you know uh, but it's awesome. I mean, it's awesome because it's meeting a need that the modern consumer has, right? They have the attention span of a gnat. So they don't want to join a 36-week bowling league, but they'll come four or five times and they'll bowl. And if we can enhance it with music, enhance it with videos, enhance it with a screen that says, hey, if you knock down this pen, you'll shoot down this part of the castle. And if you knock down this mm-hmm. – so you got a video game going on with bowling as well. So, man, I don't know. That's a great question, Tara. I, I would – I'm trying to think of anything from the Big Lebowski or Kingpin or That's any of those movies. That's what I was going to say. Yeah. I think of those movies like Big yeah. Lebowski, Kingpin. Yeah. Also, there's this series um, on Netflix called Documentary Now that's like mockumentaries uh, oh, no that kidding. they do. And there's one about um, ESPN and bowling and sports. And oh, things. no kidding. Yeah, that, look it up. It, yeah, it's pretty fun. Um, so it's called Documentary Now. And so, one of them is about bowling. So, that's so you know, the, the funny thing is, um, huge Lebowski fan, right? And... Um, and so um, my boss says to me one time when we were about ready to open up Headbins Fort Myers, I was trying to get the Naples Film Festival to show Lebowski at the Silver Spot Cinemas or whatever. And um, as a part of their genre of, you know, movies. And they hemmed and hawed and they hemmed on it and they never did it. I don't know why. I don't remember if they gave me a reason. But so I talked to my boss about it. I said, you know, man, that'd be It'd be great to show that in one of our bowling centers. I said, the only problem is they say the F word or a variation of the F word like 450 times in the movie. I don't know how we would do that unless it was an adults only night and you could just, you know, play it and tell everybody you got to be cool about it. But love the Lebowski. You you know, you never see the dude bowl. You see him in the bowling alley, but you never see the dude bowl. You see other guys bowl, but you never see the dude bowl. And I just, I, any, anytime there, it's funny, my, my friends who know that I'm in the bowling industry, you know, anytime bowling is in something, they'll send me a note. Hey, they reference it on SportsCenter, or they, you know, and so I hear about it all the time. You know, Kingpin, classic. Kingpin, Woody. Classic. Yeah. Um, you know, at the end, when he has the big showdown with Bill Murray's character Bigger and his McCracken. hair is all yeah. crazy over there mm-hmm. and he bowls the three strikes mm-hmm. in a row, um, I went down a rabbit hole a while back. He did that. Like when they filmed it, Did he? Yeah. like he pulled off. That's why the excitement when he hits that third strike right. is so genuine. Yeah, and you know, striking. We're back to the Caddyshack. Sure, we've we've reached yeah. the nexus. There is there's great symb- symbiotic relationships to a bunch of things in my life. Oh, but yeah, the dude, the dude, bigger and McCracken, great characters. Um. Uh, nickname that you have uh, that has stuck over your life. Do people still call you Can Man? That's it. Okay. That's the only thing. I, Big I, Ed. I have that question yeah, there, and yeah. I'm like, I think I know the yeah, answer. You do. Ding, 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 <laughs> ding. Explain. You win. Explain, like Cannington. Please. Well, my well, last name is Cannington. Right. And my, so Can Man was easy. Um, you know, I have a very large head, so some people call me Big Head. Uh, but Can Man is the name that, um, you know, I could not see somebody for years, and that, that'll be the name that comes out of their mouth. Um, it's okay. I don't mind it. It doesn't bother me. Um, musicals, like going to Barbara B. Man and stuff yeah. like that. Do you do that? Absolutely you... love them. Yeah? Absolutely. You know, part of the challenge of three songs is 
man, how do you whittle your life down into three songs, right? And I absolutely love the theater, just without a doubt. Um, when my wife and I go to Broadway or, you know, go to New York to visit her aunt, you know, we try to take in a play if we can. Um, one of my very best friends in the world is Will Prather, who owns Broadway Palm. And when, um, you know, the very first time I ever saw Phantom of the Opera was at Broadway Palm. And I was blown away by it. I'm just absolutely mesmerized. So now whenever it's nearby, I, I try to catch a, a performance. I love Broadway. I think it's just a, it's fantastic. Next time you see Will, remind him that he has agreed to do this show three well, times, might but has backed out. There might be. He might be one of the three that comes <laughs> Good. up at the end. We, Good. we won't divulge. He's if we told put, me straight to my yes, face twice yes. that he'd do it. Then it I, just never works I heard out. that story, so we'll see if we can make that work. <laughs> uh, Will Prather. Oh, that is so good. Um, okay, let's go uh, real quick. Karaoke. You a karaoke here? I love watching people karaoke, and okay. I love watching bad people karaoke. Um, I can watch America's Got Talent on TV or The Voice. I love when people – so you asked if I sing. Um, one of the, my good buddies that I work with used to own All-Star Lanes in North Fort Myers, and Bill had these um, you know, karaoke companies or people, and we would bowl, and um, after consuming a few beverages, you know, we would end up in the bar and – Late at night, and uh, we have another friend, Chrissy Stewart, and she she loves to sing um, "I'm Too Sexy for My Hat" or whatever that is. So I love I love watching people karaoke. It's great entertainment. I'm the same way with video games. Yeah, I, I, I it's a spectator sport for me. Yeah, I sit yeah. around and watch play games. Yeah. on a big screen. Yeah, I'm but, too uh, old for that. I, I miss that generation <clears throat> or that part of the life. Okay, time for song number three. Song number three. So. Um, Again, I like setting it up. Um, so if you notice, the the three songs could, could not be more different, the styles, the genres. Uh, song number three, I'm a, first of all, I'm a huge Elton John fan, but it's not because of that that I picked this song. Um, so in the year, my wife and I lost um, my father, her mother, and her father all within less than a year. We both lost our jobs in this same time frame. And we had to sell our dream home. We had to do a short sale. And so this is 2008, 2009. And it was just, it was as about, it was as about a rough a stretch as two humans short of one of them dying really would, would ever have to endure. Right. Um, and so my dad had a stroke and was in rehab for three months and you know, I would go up every weekend to spend time with him. He lived in Tampa. My mother-in-law had a brain tumor, and she was sick for four or five months. And then my father-in-law had a blood cancer, and he was he was the last to pass. And um, so just the, the culmination of all that stuff. And I'm about as positive and upbeat a person as I would hope you'd ever meet. And it just got to be... It got to be a little much at the end, and and it was pretty heavy. And when when the time came where we were going to lose our home or short sell it, which we ended up short selling it, it was just I, I was just sort of at my wits' end. Never never despondent to the point of suicide or any of those kind of crazy things, but just sort of sitting there going, "Man, what is when does the sun come up?" You know. And I vividly remember I was sitting in the parking lot, going back to my I was going to. Go see my old buddies at Hooters, who I'd worked for for 15 years. And Elton John's I'm Still Standing came on, and it just, it sort of struck a nerve. 
and, and he's still standing talking about relationships and things like that. But it was just the general vibe of the song. And, and I sort of looked at myself in the mirror, pull yourself up by the bootstraps kind of thing and say, look, man, you know, life goes on. You just got to figure out a way to make it to tomorrow, you know, to try to make a buck so you can continue to do things. So, you know, do some little odd jobs and some things and just, you know, try to keep going. And then the miracle of miracles was Pat Sanella, who I work for now, sent me this LinkedIn. I still keep the message on my phone. Hey, man, I hear you might need a job. I'd like to talk to you. And it was just out of the blue. I hadn't talked to Pat. In, I used to bowl with his wife decades earlier. Hmm. Not seen him. I'd not talked to him. And just out of the blue, this comes. And it was just one of those, if you're a religious person, it was a religious experience. If you're a non-believer, it was just karma worked, you know, and it was, it was as, you know, it took me from the lowest of lows to eventually, you know, a few weeks later landing a job that I still have today. And, um, and so the song just, it, you know, gives me goosebumps just to sit here and think about it because, you know, you try not to dwell on the bad things in the past, but it's hard not to remember them. And sometimes that taste is still quite bitter. And to think of, how music again impacted my life. That song really sort of helped me push through a, another, you know, few bad days. Do you listen to it often? I mean, is this going to be like the first time you listen to it in a while, or is it this... probably will be the first time I've heard it in a while? Um, it's on my iTunes playlist. Um, yeah, you know, but um, but it comes on every now and then, you know, and it'll 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 regurgitate those memories, you know, and and the beauty of it is is. Um, you know, my wife and I are about ready to celebrate our 33rd wedding anniversary, and and we always talk about how something that was so bad, a time frame for about 16, 18 months that was so bad, really solidified the relationship that we have with each other. I mean, it's just, it, it's amazing how two people working together can really sort of get through almost anything. And 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 if there's a moral to it, that's it. That the, the combined twosome made it work for both of us and you're still standing still standing all right this is um i'm still standing by elton john from his 1983 album too low for zero what are you thinking about while you're listening to it yeah you know uh, a lot i mean um i was with my father the morning he passed away and um you know I, i think about my dad who was just this unbelievable human being he wasn't a saint you know would never have been a Cardinal in the Catholic Church, but I think about him. Uh, you know, I think about the relationship I had with my in-laws. I was, um, you know, I was very. It was it was weird at the start, but it got to be so much better down the road. I my mother-in-law was just this amazing human being. She, you know, again immigrated to the United States, didn't speak English, uh, learned to speak English right, and met her future husband in D.C. Uh, they they raised a family. They moved to Kissimmee. They have these three daughters. And my mother-in-law became this amazing individual. She uh, ran for a school board and was elected to the school board. Uh, in the late 90s, she was elected. Uh, she was no, named uh, one of the 25 most influential people in Orlando. Mm-hmm. I mean, in Orlando. And so, you know, I think about how fortunate I am to have had those kind of people in my life. My father-in-law was a chemist by um, – you know, schooling and opened up restaurants when he moved to Florida and just, yeah, you know, it's just, 
you got to be thankful for what you get in life, right? And and it's not always going to be great stuff, but you can find great in almost anything. And that, that was, again, I, I don't want to sound melodramatic. It was just a really tough 18 months for us. And um, But there's good that comes from it. And there's there's always lessons to be learned from it. And so, you know, I, I, I think it's, it's just, all in all, it's just awesome. You know, it's just, I love being alive. I love doing what we do. I, I love trying to help other people do things. And I love music. And so, to me, they all go together very well, you know. They really do. When we presented you with the concept, was that a song that immediately came to mind? No. Not, not, not well, so it was really hard, right? It was really difficult. I, I on my notes program on my phone, I started, hey, let me put down this, you know, Rock and Roll All Night by Kiss and, you know, U2. And I part, start writing. And I must have had a list of 50 songs. And then when I when I really read it, and I read where it says, hey, we really want three defining moment kind of songs, then it became very abundantly clear. There was no doubt. You know, there, there was, um, it was an easy choice. I won't say the other two necessarily were, but that one was certainly an easy choice, and um, and it, it, what what a fun, cool exercise it really was. It was, I mean, you know, I, I could have picked any number of songs for the other two, but but I think they work. But that one was that one was a definite one. You know, and you said you know you heard from the people who are now your your employers after so long and everything, and whether it's karma or whatever. Right. I think. You know, this story and the way you are and I think the way I am is a sort of an example of, you know, if you if you don't burn bridges and you and you're straight with people and right. you put positivity out into the world, when the dark times come, it, it'll come back. Yeah. You know, you just got to trust it. And I feel like that's just like that's it. If, if you can't. Right. If you can't if you can't trust it, if you can't trust that doing being a good human being and doing Hopefully the right thing. It doesn't mean you're everybody's fan. Everybody can be a fan of you, but but you try to live your life in certain ways. Yeah, I would certainly hope so. Those are the messages I try to give my kids and anybody around me, young people that I mentor at work or mentor through other organizations and things like that. It's like be good, be a good human being, be nice, you know, do good things, and you know, good things happen at the end. And ball. And bowl, man, it's the sport of a lifetime. <laughs> you know, you I walk bowled for so long. You know, it, it's a short little walk, but if you do it thirty frames in a row, it, it's a lot of walking, actually. So, yeah, bowling's great. Listen, um, and the way bowling's going, it's just it's phenomenal. It's phenomenal to watch. Again, I remember it from the '60s, and what what it is today is nothing like those days. I've never been to a Top Golf. Yes, but is that like golf and bowling mixed? It is. So the the originators of Top Golf, two guys from England, two brothers, and listen, they they freely admit that they watched what was going on in the bowling world and the way entertainment was becoming a part of it. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So now it's. Now you're not a bowling alley. You're a bowling entertainment center. Yeah. That's what we tell people. We're a bowling entertainment center. And so, yeah. And so when the new one opens up here, you'll be able to experience it. You ever you been know, to one? Oh, yeah. I, I love Top Golf. Huh. I've probably been to six or eight of them. I go to Vegas every year for a bowling event and always try to make a way to Top Golf there. When was the last time you were by the Niblick? Oh, I I tried to go in they, earlier today. No, 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 it wasn't today. <laughs> uh, I, it was like a I don't know three or four weeks ago. I call and I go, "Hey, Bill, w- are you guys open?" Because I I typically would go by late in the day. You know, I I want to get a club reshafted. True story. 
yeah, you know, we're we're only open nine to noon, and I'm like. Who in the world can come there between nine and noon? I can't get in. Like, like, yeah, he's, he's, just he's an internet guru, I guess. I don't. I can't give him any of my money because I can't get there before noon. Uh, John Harris still there, right? Last I knew, Johnny was there regripping and reshafting. You know, I love him. You know, he and I traded lives. Yeah, he worked. Uh, he was part owner of Black Coffee Cafe in downtown Fort Myers. Okay, and I worked at the Broken Niblick. Right, and then. He left that operation and he came working at the Niblick, and then we became roommates. Right. And then I left the Niblick, went on a big road road trip for three months, came back and got hired at Liquid Cafe, which is where Black Coffee Cafe no was. Kidding. And I worked there for like five or six years, and he's still at the Niblick. Yep. So me and Johnny just kind of. Johnny's <laughs> funny, man. When you get him dancing and stuff like that, he's a he, there is a Jekyll and Hyde side to that young oh, man. Oh, yes. There, yeah, uh, it's yes. funny. I lived with him. Yeah, right? it's funny. It's funny. <laughs> uh, if you were a championship wrestler, what song would you come in on? Uh, I I think um, Thunderstruck by ACDC is just one of the greatest sports. When I worked for Hooters, we had an arena football team. And the, yeah. the football team and the players would come in through the smoke and the fireworks going off and Thunderstruck was it. And I'm like, yeah, that's it. That'd be my walk-up song in baseball or whatever. What would your name be if you were a wrestler? Can man? Uh, big head. Big head. <laughs> <laughs> some variation. I'm sure we could spin it some way. You know, real quick story on that. When I was in TV, I always tell people I was in TV for 15 years. And to this day, I have, my wife will tell you I have the worst memory of any human being on earth. But I vividly remember the greatest interview I ever did in my entire life was with Randy Macho Man Savage. Mm. When the WWE was in it, well, back then it was the WWE. Uh, when it was in its heyday in the late 80s, early 90s, and those guys would come to town at the Lee Civic Center, and the WWE um, press people would call and go, hey, do you want to interview a wrestler? Yeah, I'd like to do it, do it live. And But I never knew who I was going to get. And so I'm out there at the Civic Center. I'm waiting. And all of a sudden, this guy walks up and goes, hey, uh, I'm, I'm going to be doing the live, live interview with you. And I'm going... Who are you? He goes, uh, they call me Randy Macho Man Savage. I go, great, awesome. I wasn't the biggest, you know, WWE, <laughs> fan. And he's just this quiet, meek guy. And we're standing there talking like you and I are talking. And he goes, hey, uh, when we're done, you think you could take me over to, um, I don't know the name of it. It's Anderson Avenue. I go, uh, yeah, what do you got? Well, my car broke down and I got my lawyer there sitting with the car. I go, yeah, yeah, sure, no problem. And so when we do this live shot, he's in full costume and he just explodes. It was phenomenal TV. It wouldn't work in radio so much, but it was phenomenal TV. He's pointing his finger at me and, and you know, <laughs> spits coming out of his mouth. Tara is so yeah. jealous. And at the end, at the end, so I'm I'm as close as I am to Tara. You folks can't see this, but I'm five feet away from her. The ring for the night is right behind me. And when I'm done, I'm saying, hey, thanks, Randy. You're a really great macho man. Thanks a lot. He goes back to the ring, and he gets on the belt buckles, and he's just jumping up and down, screaming my name. I want you, Mike Cannington. I want you in the squared <laughs> circle. I want you. And... And so this is just mayhem. It was awesome. Turn the lights off. Cameraman starts to break down. He walks up. Totally turned the character off. You think you can give me that ride now? <laughs> <laughs> I go, yeah, sure, no problem. I am I am literally green with oh, envy. I have, was, a, I have a cat. I have a cat named Macho Man. Oh, <laughs> it, was, it was so sad. It was. I, re, I remember the day when it was announced that he had had the heart attack and died driving his Jeep in Clearwater. Yeah. I do remember because I he was I I never experienced anything like that. He was phenomenal. 
It was that was the greatest. Those are great things to do back in those days. That that wrestling question is one that I have added to the script. Yeah, that's a great. That's a great a one. Huge, yeah. I'm a super re- uh, wrestling super fan. Yeah, no, that's um, a great one. That's I fabulous. Love it. First time I was on TV would have been in the early '90s when Jay and John used to challenge viewers sports to challenge. play sports yeah. challenge. Yeah. We challenged them to foosball because uh-huh. my roommate. Was a foosball player. Right. I just was like, I'll play foosball with right. you. And they came to our apartment and they filmed the whole thing and we just beat the pants off of sure. it because my buddy. But it was so great because they cut in like hockey stand fans right. and stuff. Yeah. It was so good. The I magic of I TV had, editing. I wish I had that tape. That, that, was, and that's that the problem, so right? Fun. Those things just don't exist and unless somebody archives them. Nobody was those on a shelf yeah. back then. Yeah. yeah, no doubt. No doubt. Those guys are, I, I, you know, like I said, Jay's one of my best friends. John and I talk once or twice a year. Notre Dame's coming to Tallahassee to play Florida State, and he called me. He goes, hey, Cam, man, we going to see you there? And I said, ah, you know. But then when I saw the price of tickets, I rapidly told him no. You can Zoom with him while he's there. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I'll watch it on TV, John. You enjoy Notre Dame because he's a huge ND fan. Um, um, song you've listened to the most times in your life, if you had to guess. Yeah, you know, that's a hard one because um, for a long time in my life, I was a huge Kiss fan. And so, you know, their anthem, Rock and Roll All Night Party Every Day, uh, played a lot on mine. You um, 2 Joshua Tree, for more than a decade, was in my CD player. And it was it was that. So, you know, Streets Have No Name, probably something along those lines. Uh, I was stoked when they did the uh, Joshua Tree tour Recently, I don't know, four or five years ago, Will and I and his now current wife and my wife uh, went up to see it. It was just, it, it was awesome. Most overplayed song of all time? Huh. I mean, I don't know. I'm hard pressed to even think of what one would because I don't listen to radio very much right. anymore. So it's hard for me to know what that would be. Happy birthday. Happy birthday <laughs> to you. If you were a cocktail or a drink of some kind, what would you be? Yeah, I'd be like Guinness, man. I'm I'm just on the, the appearance on the outside isn't what the taste is on the inside. Uh, you know, I um I, I don't drink foo foo drinks. I'm a beer and wine guy. So, but I love Guinness, and and I'm always uh, I'm always shocked that people don't have never tasted it, don't understand what it truly is. And so, anytime I have the opportunity, great quick story. I was in Baltimore, D.C. last week helping my daughter get ready for her move, and we had finished up for the day, and she goes, hey, Dad, you want to go to the Guinness Brewery? And I go, they have a Guinness Brewery in D.C.? And she goes, right up the street at Baltimore, right by BWI Airport. I go, yeah, let's go. And it was like, it was just one of those great afternoons sitting there having a few pints, and they built this phenomenal facility there with outdoor arena where they show movies, they can have concerts, they got all this stuff right on 95 in Baltimore, Maryland. So, Can you get a Guinness at Headpins? You can. Yeah, absolutely. On draft or in a can? Yeah, well, it used to be... It, it used to be on draft. I would seriously have to look again. I know we carry it, the draft in the can. Have you yeah. had the nitro with the co- yeah. with the coffee? No. It's not bad. No, it tastes, it's not, yeah. It pretty much just tastes like Guinness, except it's got caffeine in it. So oh, cool. there's that. There you go. Keep you wired. <laughs> I can't help but ask, but have you ever had, um, well, people call it many different things. They call it like an Irish slammer, Irish car bomb. Sure. You know, yeah. you've had one of those before. My body is probably in, ingested most 10,000 of those. Most <laughs> substances that can be ingested. It's, I used um, to challenge many of people at the bar to yeah. drink those fast. Yeah. That was kind of the thing. If you're not familiar, listeners, uh, it's 
Guinness, and then you drop a shot of Irish cream and whiskey into yeah. the glass, and you drink it as fast as you can before it curdles. Yep. Uh, and then you think, though, was it won't it just curdle in my dang stomach anyway? <laughs> It's like sake, you know, when you drop it into a sake bomb, when you drop it into a oh, mug of beer. Yes. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm up for most drinking games. So we're putting together a cocktail cookbook. So you have to somehow customize your Guinness. Okay. Uh, you know, I'll come up with something for you. I don't know. I mean, I, I, I really, the older I get, the more I love wine. So, but, but I can probably come up with a cocktail for you. I don't know. Just off the, t- you know, if I drink liquor, it's usually whiskey. I, I, I like brown liquor. So, you know. Uh, do you need it now? Yeah. I got to come up with it now. Yeah. We want it now. Uh, and yeah. and you think of it as like what would be like if you were distilled into a drink. Yeah. What would that drink be? It, so it would be it would be some form of whiskey, whether it's Woodford Reserve or Jack Daniels and ginger ale, sweet and strong. On the rocks? Yes, on the rocks. Yeah. I, when I drink Woodford, I typically drink it neat. No no ice at all. Okay. Uh, but 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 whiskey and ginger ale, sweet and strong. We'll Love call it. it the large cabeza. The big head, yeah. Okay. The, if broadcast a song into every person at once on the whole planet. The one song I would broadcast? Mm-hmm. Uh, God. Hakuna Matata. I don't know. <laughs> that's not the one. What's the one? The, the guy plays the ukulele, the big, huge Hawaiian dude. Oh, that's uh, Over the Rainbow. Yeah, over the Rainbow, yeah. His let's version go. of Over the yeah, Rainbow. Yeah, I love that. Yeah, love that. that's got so that's, much magic in it. Yeah, that's a huge song. That's an interesting story, too, because it was like he, he, he like convinced some record exec or some re- record studio, right. recording studio, rather, and they let him come in like it, like midnight or something and he just one take and then he died not too long after no and, way yeah and that song is just like that's it's why there's awesome. so much magic yeah, in it's, it. it's so awesome I, I that's probably trite but that that's just so awesome i love that best led zeppelin album well you know the easy choice is led zeppelin 4 because it's got you know it's got stairway to heaven and all that stuff on it i like them all i truly do but if i if i had to pick i mean i, I like i like led zeppelin 4 there's you know of the seven or eight songs six or seven of them are all great what is the worst led zeppelin song well you know stairway to heaven gets overplayed more than anything and i think it sort of loses its appeal so i probably have to sort of lean to that but but you know, back in the '70s when it wasn't overplayed, it was just such a magical. Like you said about, it was a magical song. But you know, um, I'm trying to think back of the library. Black Dog's a good song. When the levee breaks, I mean, I, it's hard to say one's a bad song. I just I've heard a couple of different people over the years say Led Zeppelin never wrote a bad song. Yeah, I just, thinking, but one of them's got to be the worst. There probably is. <laughs> yeah, there probably there probably is some obscure song that they would never play in concert. I always love that. Right? They only play two songs off of a whole album, and that you know, so they must think the other ones are terrible. Uh, best album of all time, in your opinion? Uh, I mean, well, I. I love Joshua Tree by U2. I, I, I probably, if I was going to listen to an album, probably that over and over again. Uh, what would your 14-year-old self think of who you are here? 1972. I, I think you would think it, was, it turned out okay. I think, I think you would, um, you know, I was consumed with sports back in those days. Sports and music, that was it, you know. And so... Um, not as consumed by sports today. Well, consumed in a different fashion. Um, 
But, yeah, I think my 14-year-old self would be cool with it. Any advice you'd like to give them if you could, if you'd like send something back yeah, in time? Yeah, I would, I would definitely tell them to invest in Microsoft in the <laughs> 90s and Apple in the 2000s. I would absolutely uh, – yeah, I, I like – I would love to tell them financial stories because, man, money sure can be a – a bad, wicked thing. It'd be like the monkey paw or something. If you sent money, yeah. if you sent that kind of advice back in yeah. time, it would be like that would mean Microsoft didn't yeah. make it or yeah. something. Something like bad that. would happen. <laughs> yeah, yeah that would be terrible, right? I mean, but yeah, gosh, in the I, I remember the halcyon days of the late '80s, early '90s when it started to go crazy, and you're like, wow, real people can make this kind of money. It's crazy. My boss at Hooters at the time. He had this little iMac back in the days when it looked like a George Jetson helmet and the back uh-huh. part was colored. And he would just follow stocks. And he had a buddy that was a big-time investor. And he had just monitor after monitor. I'm like, I got, I got a little bit of money. Can you help me out? <laughs> <laughs> um, all right. It's time to recommend your three people. So, awesome. I have um, – obviously, I have to start with – the woman who is the biggest three song fan in the world, Stacy Cannington, she just is. Uh, she she is just such a ray of sunshine. She's really really a cool human being, and I I would imagine Stacy has some pretty cool things. Um, little no, well maybe not little no, but Stacy's aunt is Connie Chung, and so um, Stacy has some really pr- pretty cool stories about young life with Connie and Warren Beatty and funny things like that. So if you ever brought her on, you'd have to ask her that. Uh, my second pick would be. Uh, Does that mean you know Connie Chung? Oh, very well. It was so funny <laughs> when we were getting married. I had met Connie. I don't know if I'd met her yet or not, but we were getting married. We got married in 1988, and um, I was at the, the apartment one morning, and the phone rings, and I go, "Hello, hi, who's this?" I go, "This is Mike. Who is this? This is Connie Chung." And I go, "Yeah, right. Who is this?" <laughs> but it was Connie Chung. But Connie and Maury came to our wedding. We've been to their place. Uh, many times they've got a place out in Montana we've been to. So, yeah, no, yeah, she's, she's my wife's mother's. She, Connie is the youngest. My wife's mother was the oldest Understood. of the family. So, okay. yeah, so okay. pretty cool. Uh, my second choice would be the aforementioned Willie P., Willie Prather. He promises me, and if I have to bring him myself, he will We're going to make this happen. We will make this happen. He told me he absolutely said he would do it because he said, I've blown Mike off a couple of times pre-COVID. So <laughs> well, he, it's, No, it's okay, though. If, we, we, if you're well, listening, Will, which I know you are, yeah. it's okay. No, no, it's not okay. Never give Will a pass because he has a guilty conscience, so it'll be easy to play on it. <laughs> and then my third would be, maybe it's a, a stretch, but um, another good buddy of mine. The only bad t- part about this guy is he's a Florida Gator. And I have to overlook that many times. But my buddy Ted Fitzgeorge is the voice of the Boston Red Sox, uh, realtor in town, things like that, broker. And he plays DJ on Facebook every day. He goes, I feel like playing DJ today. And he's done it for like 490,000 days in a row. And so Ted's a great storyteller, Really cool guy, super involved in the community. And so Ted would be my third choice. So Stacy, Will, and Ted, I'm going to put the hammer. I'm going to put the Macho Man Savage hammer on you to get you in here. Uh, well, we will appreciate that. Yeah. And thank you, Mike. This yeah. has been so great. Good. When I sent you the message, like I said, we've been Facebook friends for however long. Yeah. Facebook's been around, but I didn't know if you remembered me or yeah, not. I absolutely. was that young kid that played golf at 40. Yeah. I was like, hey, Mike, do you remember yeah. me? No. You're like, yeah, my wife's a big fan. Yeah, yeah. Well, because I said to Stacey, I go, I said to her, I go, I said, you'll never, I said, you know anything about this show? And she goes, oh my God. She goes, 
just goes ballistic, you know. The excitement was off the charts. So, yeah. So, no, it's cool, man. I love reconnecting with people. Like, you know, it's just it's fun. It's not that life comes full circle. It's just that we're continuing along the path, and every now and then we bump in. And, and this town's cool. got some cool people who didn't yeah. leave. That's well, what's great. That's right. Yeah. Like, I've been here since 83, so I'm rapidly approaching 40 years. Didn't grow up here, but came here when I was 25 years old. And so met a lot of people. My jobs have uh, helped me meet a lot of people and things yeah. like that. So I'm it's very cool. similar. Well, yeah. thank you so much for doing it. My pleasure. This is awesome. We make three song stories in the studios of WGCU Public Radio on the campus of Florida Gulf Coast University in Fort Myers, Florida. Richard Chinqui is co-creator and producer. Tara Calligan is our online content producer and host, and she engineered this week's episode. Chris Duffus is executive producer. Our theme song was created by Dave 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 Cowan and Stick Martin at Monkey House Studio in St. Pete. For this week's parting tune, we're going back one year to episode 129 with Spencer Duke Ellis. His second song was The Beastie Boys Intergalactic, which he discovered first in the early days of digital downloads, though he didn't have the means of listening to it digitally while on the go, and which years later he got to perform with two of his favorite local rappers. I had gotten Napster and I downloaded this track and I didn't have like a CD burner or anything like that, but I had a uh, stereo that if you put, you know, a tape in, I think it was either a stereo that you could put the tape in and hit record yeah. or it was either a, is that, no, it was a handheld recorder. It was a handheld uh, a little, voice little recorder. Mm-hmm. And I would, pl- I played the song and I recorded it into the handheld uh, tape recorder and then I'd walk around and I had that. And it's like, that was how I got to listen to that song was just, it's like super low super fidelity boot, mono bootleg, like, <laughs> yeah, it's on mono being played into a trash can under the ocean. It sounded that good, you know, and that was how I got into that. And I was listening to it all the time. I love that track. And then fast forward and I meet the wonderful Brie Le- uh, Lee Britt Schneider, who I believe had an episode on here as well. Oh, yeah, yeah. And um, him and my buddy uh, Ronan, who I believe is also go- about to have an episode in the upcoming weeks. I saw an email about that. Yeah, dude, he's great. I love those dudes. Uh, we did a Beastie Boys cover set at uh, Love Your Rebellion's, what is it? The Masquer- Sonic Masquerade. Sonic Masquerade. There we at go. Nice Guys. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah we did that uh, the year before, and we did a Beastie Boys cover set. And so I got to... You know, perform my favorite song with my two favorite local rappers. It was, it is so good. It was so, and he sound, you sound exactly like, like Ed Rock. Sounds very, very similar as well. So very similar sound. Why, thank you. Yeah. Keep listening. Next time on Three Song Stories. I always remembered that Van Halen song, Panama. I always thought it was padded bra that we would sing. <laughs> Had it from. Yeah. <laughs> that's pretty good. Works. Yeah. Um. <laughs>